Hello and welcome to AIO Audio News. Today, I am graced with the marvelous, majestic presence of the one and only... Craig Hart. <laughs> welcome to the show. Uh, you're the first in a series of, I guess, interviews or sort of just discussions I'm having with people from the Adventures in Odyssey Facebook page uh, on there. So thanks for thanks for coming on the podcast. It's great to have you here. It is your pleasure. I mean, it's it's my, my pleasure, Michael. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> one of those two. <laughs> So this was this was an interesting case because I put out the the post uh, up on Facebook and you responded almost immediately and then I I, I thought okay well that be, that'd be fun so I went to send you a message and I I realized wait a minute this guy's the producer behind the Titanic Wave um, <laughs> and I, I'd heard the about infamous yeah I'd heard about it so you want to talk a little bit about Legacy Radio Theater or the Titanic Wave sure uh, first of all I should I should let you know a warning posts like that are like chum in the water for media hams like myself <laughs> so anytime something like that comes along uh yeah just be forewarned uh but no uh in all seriousness thank you for having me this yeah, no is problem. great uh i love, I love talking chatting people, about so, yeah no problem yeah i love talking about audio audio drama odyssey in particular all that good stuff so uh my history with audio drama is goes back to wow probably when i was six, seven years old, around Christmas Eve, um, I'd stay up late-ish with my dad, and we would tune in on AM radio and hear the uh, Campbell Playhouse production of uh, A Christmas Carol mm-hmm. uh, with Lionel Barrymore. And uh, we would play every year, we listened to it, and that meant Christmas to me. And that was my first introduction to audio drama. In fact, I didn't know anything else existed. I thought it was just that one show, right? Mm -hmm. Then I began to find out, wow, there was an entire world of audio drama produced in the 30s through the 50s, golden age of radio and all that. I got really into that. Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, all that good stuff. Uh, And then in the 80s, um, my mom was like, hey, there's this new show on the radio for kids. Um... That you can actually listen to, uh, because my I was raised in a very religious household. We had no television or anything like that, mm-hmm. and so the audio dramas was you know my, my my ticket to entertainment, other than books, of course. Yeah, naturally. And so uh, this is great. Let me check this out. And it was the early uh, uh, Odyssey episodes, and I my mom was like, "We'll see if you like it." And I was like, "If I like it, well, I immediately <laughs> fell in love with it." And now, was I just, this Family Portraits or was this the beginning of Odyssey? Yeah, it was USA? the yep. You know, like uh, what was a Dental Dilemma? I think was one yes. of them. Yep. Uh, I, 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 my mind is blanking, but a couple other ones. My brother's and, keeper, the letter. Yes. Yep. Like um, there's yeah, there's one about I think exaggeration or something like that. You're or, not going to believe. It seemed this. like it to me. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> All that good stuff. And so I was just like, you know what. This is amazing, and it you know we didn't know what it was going to be back then, mm-hmm. right? Um, we didn't know it was going to go on for decades, and I again I just felt in fell in love with the show. Um, became a huge fan. My friend and I would literally memorize episodes and then <laughs> act them out again. On all, actually, I still have a couple of those. One is a Thanksgiving Carol we did, and uh, we're doing all the voices and whatnot. <laughs> Ebenezer W. Stooge. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I was young enough that my voice hadn't changed. I was doing, oh, nice. I was doing the the women's voices. So good, <laughs> <Connie>. good times there. <laughs> I yeah. can't imagine that. That's. Sounds... <laughs> I actually, I should send you a clip. It was just, it's, oh, it's so ridiculous. Oh wow! <laughs> but yeah, it, it's a, it's a good times, and that, and uh, you know, from there, I moved on to some of the BBC dramas, and then after that, was you know, focus on the family radio theater, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and you know my my background is an audiobook producer traditional audiobooks where you've got one or two narrators reading the book um but my passion really has always been audio drama and more recently i've gotten i've turned my focus to pursuing that passion through legacy radio theater and that brings us to today yeah that's fantastic so a little bit of a background i don't know if i mentioned this on recording or off recording everything's blended together i'll cut this out if i already have but i um I heard from Darby Curran at SonicCon that he was writing. I, I th- did he also direct the Titanic Wave? But he, he did. He, men- he mentioned it to me, and I didn't know that you were a part of this. So, what can you tell us about that production? So that's uh, Legacy Radio Theater. Is so my my uh, main company is Northern Leg Audio. Legacy Radio Theater is the audio drama arm of that. Um, and I reached out to Darby, and I should give a shout out to JD Sutter. Oh yeah, because he hooked us up. Um, I emailed him and I'm trying to remember how I get hooked up with JD. I think it was, it was through Facebook for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think I was looking for people who shared my interests and values. Um, that's JD. All right. Yeah, absolutely. And 
got hooked up with him somehow. And I just, I had been listening to the ATC podcast and whatnot, and I figured he knew people. So I emailed him and said, hey, do you know anybody who has written or could write some good audio dramas? I'm thinking of launching this new audio drama company. Uh, can you help me out? And he sent me a couple of names, one of which was Darby Kern. And I don't remember how or why I chose Darby, to be honest, except that maybe he has such a cool name. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's I was... a great you know, villain I, name, honestly. Right. Like, I'm just thinking of Odyssey, but yeah, anyway. Darby Kern. Um, <laughs> now, it's, uh, he had done some other things like Left Behind Kids, and I'd yeah, listened to that, I yeah. think. So I think that's what kind of attracted me in that direction. So I sent him an email. It's like, hey, uh, <laughs> you don't know me. I'm a, I'm a weird dude from <laughs> Iowa, and I would like to know if you have any audio drama scripts for sale. What do you got for me? Or can you write something? We, we initially were going to do some public domain stuff, so we mm-hmm. wouldn't have to worry about rights acquisitions and all that stuff starting out. He's well, probably he like, back, well, can I write something? Right. <laughs> silly, silly man. <laughs> and he gave like a blacker chuckle. <laughs> Over email? <You're> right. <laughs> he's, he's a talented guy. What can I say? <laughs> no, he, and he's like, do it. Can't, could, he essentially, he's like, yeah, I, I, I can do that. And not only that, but I have something i have a script ready to go if you want to look at it oh. like and at first again i didn't know him at this point i was like eh, okay <laughs> so oh, he sent it over to yeah. me and i i, I read it i was like Ooh? my added my attitude changed immensely <laughs> and i say hey uh, i would like to buy the non-exclusive rights to this to produce it as an audio drama are you interested and a couple back and forth he's like yeah i'll do it and i'll direct it too I'm like perfect uh, and that has spawned uh, what I now consider a friendship. He may not admit, own up to that, but I consider him a friend. <laughs> oh, come on. And, Everybody's uh, his yeah. friend. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he did a great job. He assembled the uh, majority of the cast for me as well because he had more connections. And, right. and uh, yeah. we got together and we did some Zoom uh, recording sessions. And it just, I, I have to tell you, it is almost like it was... I'm not owning this, okay? It just mm-hmm. seemed to me as just like, wow, this has just been blessed and ordained to be. It just fell together so nicely. And it was a great experience. And we got it out in record time. It's coming out on December 27th. Whoa, so that's I'm really very, soon, actually. Yeah, wow. just a couple of days. And uh, I'm really excited for everybody to hear it. So, yeah, that's the... Kind of the the brief history of the brief history of Legacy Radio Theater. <laughs> that's that's awesome. I'm just pulling up the the cast list here, but I I think I know a lot of the people in the cast. And I think I know where where Darby found them all. Um, I'm not sure if, mm-hmm. if you're familiar with where they're found. Let me look at this. If there's a full cast, oh here it is. Uh, I'm seeing people. So J D. Jonathan Cook, Micah Touche, uh, Trisha Rose, John Fornoff. Uh, that's I'm not sure how familiar you are with the Audio Drama Alliance, but a, a lot of these people are are ADA members, and I actually am an all am also an ADA member, uh, and it's cool because mm-hmm. we talk about each other's projects. Every once in a while, somebody will say, "Hey, I need this this part done, or I need voice track editing for this." And oh, I think okay. the audio audio drama is so great because I mean I don't know about you, but I think it's a superior uh, storytelling medium other than television or or, or film. I um, yeah. That's, that's I could something not I've come to. What do you think? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there's something about, well, it's not something about, I know exactly what it is. You are forcing your mind to fill in the blanks, whereas something like television serves it to you on a silver platter. There's no real imagination involved. You can sit and zone out and still right. grasp pretty much everything you need. With audio drama, no, you you are forced to become a part of the story. Mm. Um, that's the beauty of it. Yeah. And maybe it's part of what turns some people off me, but they don't want to work for it. I don't know. (laughs) But if, but I, I, back in the day, I mentioned growing up without television and there were times when I was a kid, I resented that. But as I'm looking back, I'm sort of grateful because it forced me to do other things and really broadened my mind in a way to be able to, and I'm not saying people who watch television when they're a kid can't do this, but this is just, this helped me. Uh, to be able to create stories and get invested in the stories and, uh, you know, problem solve these things on my own without relying on something else coming along to assist me. Because, you know, I didn't have that with audio drama. Right. And it just opened up such a world to me. I, I owe Odyssey and audio drama for pretty much all my success to this point that I've, I've had an audio that mm-hmm. laid the groundwork. And so I, I owe a debt of gratitude to, to all of that. 
That's fantastic. Yeah, Odyssey is spawning a lot of really, really great audio productions. Um, even recently, like with your with what you've been talking about, um, there's an, another ADA member. His name's Christopher Green, who's mm-hmm. doing his own audio dramas, and they're they're really good. Um, mm-hmm. and seeing all the talent in the Audio Drama Alliance, uh, I was I was blown away when I got in there and. Uh, seeing names like like Trisha is a fantastic voice actress who hasn't done a lot of audio drama before this, but now that she's an ADA member, she's doing your thing, my mm-hmm. audio drama, a couple short uh, short productions that we've done, and it's it's great because we're all learning at the same time. And I'm I don't know I'm really excited to I'm really excited to see this production you have here. Um, it really is. I mean, yeah. when you think about the the run of Odyssey, a lot of those people who grew up on it are now coming of age to where they can produce their own things. Yeah. And it's heavily influenced by Odyssey. I mean, if I look back on Odyssey. It influenced not only my values, but my sense of humor, uh, my work ethic, like everything. And I just to have um, an entity like Odyssey who has in, enjoyed, and I put that in quotes because I'm not saying this was their master plan. Maybe it was. <laughs> had enjoyed such control over an impressionable uh, demographic and to use it for such good is stunning and i mean most of the time when you, th- you think about people who wield that kind of influence and control it's like a novacom type stuff right <laughs> you know, like <laughs> nefarious purposes no, right but but here it is you know the, to me to me in in my life other than jesus christ then my life odyssey has been the white knight it has gotten me through so much wow. so many things and influenced me in such positive ways and again a debt of gratitude exists there that i never be able to repay and i don't think they expect that i think that to to them what i know of the people behind it if they can look over the years and say this is what we've accomplished influence for good and help to to shore up these generations against an onslaught of a world that doesn't care for their belief system all that much Mm -hmm. i think that would for them would be payment enough right right And, and odyssey still is standing with the beliefs that they've held from the beginning and they came See, under fire. Yes. Yeah, they came under fire a couple of years ago with the the ties that bind, which the the themes in that. Uh, a lot of critics, uh, I mean, other Odyssey critics said, "Yo, this album's great." But I've heard a couple of critics who have said, "No, I don't think they should have gone there." But you see, that's those are the standards that Focus and Odyssey have held from the beginning. They just mm-hmm. weren't important in the culture until now. That's exactly right. And I look at, um, you know, I, for example, my parents still very conservative. They have never swayed. Uh, swerved from that path at all. There are some things I don't agree with them on. Sure. But the fact that they have held true to what they themselves believe, I respect mm-hmm. immensely. And if they were to change it, I would question it. Does that make sense? Even Absolutely, though, yeah. Even though I don't... Exactly. I don't agree with it. I see things differently. We agree on the on the big questions, but on the smaller things, like, eh, I don't know if we need to redo that. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. But they are true to themselves, and I hold true, can hold true to myself. And there's a mutual respect there. You yeah. know, we can just dis- we can disagree, but there's respect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's fantastic. So pivoting a bit uh, more away from audio drama in general to Odyssey. Oh, actually, real quick, I wanted to ask. We brought up Darby Kern's work on Left Behind the Kids. Have you heard mm-hmm. the Left all uh, any of the Left Behind series or all of the Left Behind series? I've heard most of the adult version. I've only oh, heard a okay. little bit of the kids. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm halfway through the kids right now. Um, and I think Darby worked on the final, the final series or the final book of the adult series as well as the kids series. Mm. I don't know if mm-hmm. you knew, I don't know if you knew that. But no, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. But so far he's he's doing a pretty good job with the kids series. I mean, it's all over now, so, but I just haven't heard it all yet. Right. Um, but I've talked with him a couple times about producing some of the prequel books because he and Todd Bastide produced the rising, which was the first of the three prequel books of the adult mm-hmm. series. Um, and he's basically the response he's, he has had is like, yeah, I can produce that. You have a hundred thousand dollars or so. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have the money to do that. So, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, um, man, I, as I'm getting, I'm getting into this and stuff, I'm, I'm seeing those kinds of prices. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I may get myself into trouble here, but I, oh, I, no. <laughs> I just don't. I think people should get paid for their work. We put it that way. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that things need to cost six figures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. I don't know. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Right, right. If you can find people who want to work, um, at least with me and the people that I'm finding in the ADA with sound design, uh, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be that expensive because obviously I'm producing this. I'm not paying that much money. Um. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a sticky s- subject because again, I'm not saying people should work for less than yeah. they are worth. That's that's not what I'm saying. 
at all. Right. But on the other hand, I've heard a lot of quality productions that I know for a fact those people didn't spend $100,000 on it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And but, um, uh, they yeah. were great. But I also think that part of what's great about audio drama is that sound design and music are the two most expensive elements and you don't have the the sets or the filming or the film mm-hmm. editing or or visual effects or everything like that to throw on top of it. It's, right. it's it is very economical, much much more than film. And mm-hmm. therefore if if you make a production and it doesn't do that well in audio drama, it's not that's not great, but it's not as big a detriment as if you make a film and the film bombs. Um, (laughs) also because you have a lot more focus in audio drama on what you can do with your story i think case in point would be the left behind series because the audio dramas are very very true to the books and there are only three movies and but there are all the the full series is dramatized in audio drama i think that's that's a testament to how well audio drama does when it's done well especially Uh, yes and cap digital yes i um i think it's things are very much audio drama is a much more adaptable medium than than it is than otherwise mm-hmm. and it, it is i know that sometimes film has to adapt in order to make things work but i also think sometimes that that film takes liberties that they don't necessarily need to for reasons that i haven't quite figured out there's something about the purest form of audio drama that uh you get you get a better i don't want to say a better but a more faithful adaptation of the material. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and again, is if you've got great people working on it, like Todd Bastide, Darby, et cetera, you can, you can find ways to communicate just about anything you need to. Um, yeah. The mind yeah. is a very suggestible thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can find interesting <laughs> ways to, to do that through audio drama that you may not be able to through right. visual. Yeah. It, it takes creativity to be able to not say, this gun in my left hand is loaded because <laughs> what, right. you don't have the visuals to support that, but you don't you don't say in the audio drama, obviously I have this. It, so it's 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 a really creative process and I found that as you're writing to be able to hint at things and not not treat your audience like they're stupid. They can they can put things together. Right. Yeah, exactly. And um you know something is is as simple as a tiny sound, like a, cl- a metallic click. Oh, he's got a gun. Yeah, exactly. Right? A little underscore of music. Oh, there's danger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, small things like that. It's funny you mentioned the gun. <laughs> well, that's a, a John a, Fornoff line, right? Yeah. <laughs> <I think. laughs> well, it's uh, happened in similar in old time radio, I'm sure many times, but there's one famous story about they were doing a live audio drama, as many of them were back in that, in those days. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> the sound guy was waiting for his cue and the actors go, I'm going to shoot you with this gun. And the guy was supposed to pull the trigger on the gun. He did. Well, it misfired. It didn't go off. And oh, so the, yeah. the actor thought quickly and said, uh, never mind. I'll stab you with this knife instead. <laughs> and just about that time, the gun went off. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Fun times. I love those kinds of stories. Mishaps on live radio. <laughs> it's so fun. I mean, if the audience and or if the audience knows it's live and there're probably going to be mistakes and if the actors are okay with it, it's yeah. all, it's great. It's a great experience. Right, yes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so now pivoting from audio drama in general to Odyssey. Uh which era of the show or which set of episodes I guess are you most familiar with? You say you grew up with it from the beginning. How familiar mm-hmm. how familiar are you with the new stuff as opposed to the old stuff? Less so. Um, I, I do okay. have Odyssey Club, the, the app, and I listen right. quite a bit, like pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't listened to all the new stuff and not all of it in order. Sure. Now, when I'm looking back, my stuff is the blaggard days. That oh, to yeah. me was the glory. And mm-hmm. there, up until Novacom, I was like, nothing can touch the blaggard stuff. That whole arc was just great. I still listen to it over and over to this day. Right. Uh, Novacom was great uh, as well, though. So to me, it's uh, well, I, I got to tell you, I mean, I think part of it, I, though, I have to be to be honest with myself and say that a lot of my love for the old stuff is nostalgia based. I mean, yes, it was great, mm-hmm. but it sure. also is yeah. like I was a child then kind of thing, you know? <laughs> oh, everything was better in the old right. days. <laughs> yes, exactly. So yeah. I want to try to avoid that for sure. Uh, I know there are people who are, who love other eras as much as I love mine. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was great. But man, I, I mean, a lot of it, I think back when Hal Smith died, that affected me more yeah. than some family members dying. 
No, absolutely. I mean, it was, right. I was crushed as a kid. I mean, that was just the end of the world. What am I going to do? Mr. Whitaker has died. And then there we get through that whole, I call it a wilderness period, which was the no wit time. And then that episode, when I heard Paul Herlinger's voice, I oh, ran yeah. around the house like, Mom, <laughs> Mom, Mr. Whitaker is alive. <laughs> now, which, which one was that? Was that Search for Wit Part 1 where he's on the phone or where he appears to Eugene in the elevator? Do you I think remember it was which the ele- one that was? Wasn't the elevator right? Because well, didn't they use clips? No, they, like, patched- no. That was Paul Herlinger. As far as I know, that was Paul Herlinger's voice on the phone, unless like the original version was different. But no, the reveal on the elevator. No, I, is yeah, I, I remember the line. I remember the line. It was like, like, hi, Eugene. It's good to see you again. That one. And yep, I was like, oh, because I think up until then, they they had used some of Hal Smith's lines. Yes. Patched. Right. And then I had some question like, is that Hal Smith? Is it? Is, 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 is it? What? Huh? What? What's happening mm-hmm. here? And then right, he was right. there. It's like suddenly the curtain was thrown back and like, whoa, Mr. Whitaker. It well, was especially just. Because also because you've been hearing his voice for the past couple minutes as this old weird guy who wants Eugene's wallet. Right. 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 <laughs> Give me your wallet. Leather? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a Christmas present? <laughs> Is it true it's a that everyone in America has a lot of money? Well, I guess that would be true. <laughs> <laughs> but not for everyone. Oh, it's just so, it was so great. I mean, it's just etched in my mind. Mm-hmm. And my mom got kind of tired of it. She's like, okay, okay. I'm like, no, you, you, you don't understand. Mr. Whitaker is back. She's like, yeah, I heard you the first time. <laughs> oh, such yeah. great times. Great times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talking about um, like th- those longer arcs, uh, a couple little questions for you. Since you're a Blackguard fan. Uh, are you familiar as familiar with the individual episodes of Blackguard or more just of the series as a whole? Uh, some of the episodes I am very familiar with. Um, okay. There are there are a few I listen to so many times. Uh, Windy City I've listened to so many mm. times. I think I've worn out the app. Um, <laughs> and then the app of the applesauce thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So here's a question: um, In the Darkness Before Dawn series, are you would you like the checkmate? episode where blaggard takes over what's end or the final conflict where blaggard's defeated which one would you rather listen to on any given day uh i think taking over the wit's end yeah okay okay yeah, yeah I, i'm with you on that one um then with novacom you know the plan b series where they figure out that eugene is missing less familiar there oh uh, okay okay uh because though that's been interesting because i've been talking with some odyssey fans about like can you name your number one episode and mm. I I have, and it really pains everyone to hear that. I'm like, no, no, it's it's fine. I, li- I like a lot of Odyssey, but going through the like the individual episodes of Novacom Saga and the Blackguard Saga has been really interesting to see. Like, where would I place each of these episodes? Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, no, Odyssey's Odyssey's been fantastic with that. What one? Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, what is your number one episode? Plan B Part Two was my number one episode for a while. That's the one where Jack is in Chicago. And he's trying to figure out the whole mystery with Eugene. Then he gets mm. chased in the car by mm-hmm. Charles and Arthur Dent. And also uh, in the meantime, you have the whole thing with Mitch where we learn that Mitch is Aram. Right. Yes, 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 yep, yep, yep. So well, that, so that was sorry, go ahead. It's been it's been been dethroned now, you say. It has because I was really surprised about this. Um Marshall Younger's new arc with Olivia in the club. I don't know if you've heard any of that recently. Uh um, not much. Okay, okay. Well, there was there was a two-parter that was released early in album 61, I'm um, sorry, 71, and just was now re-released in album 72 uh, called The Lost One. And those two episodes single-handedly dethroned my top five episodes. It was really, it was really interesting. I wasn't, I was surprised by that. And I think there are a lot of people who disagree, but the consensus <laughs> is the, well, maybe not that it was the best episode, but a lot of people really, really love that series because it's about a girl who's questioning her faith and that mm-hmm. really isn't something that we've had on Odyssey in a while. Right. Yeah. 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 Interesting. No, it's, it's really good. Very so interesting. One, one question I, I thought we could talk about, or one topic that I mentioned to you before the recording is how Odyssey treats their long arcs like Blackguard and Novacom versus individual episodes or, or shorter arcs. And as an audio drama producer, and as I, I, I'm trying to be a writer as a fellow writer, um, how, like how that plays into story and story design. Do you want to go mm-hmm. there? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So obviously Odyssey in the beginning was a bunch of sort of disconnected episodes, but featuring the same characters. And then you had an arc with Connie and then eventually with Eugene and uh, stuff with Blaggard in there too. But for the most part, Odyssey is little vignettes of what's happening in the town. So how do you, how do you balance that? If you're, if you're 
like I guess as a fan, how do you balance looking at the long arcs but also recognizing Odyssey is made up of smaller stories too and treating those smaller stories as still good episodes? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, if you say you're trying to be a writer, if you're writing, you're a writer. I mean, that's writing as okay, writers I'm do. A writer so okay, I'm a writer. I don't want to put myself on a pedestal or anything. Yes, I'm, I guess no, I'm a writer. No, 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 no. <laughs> but you also don't need to, you know, put yourself down either if you're writing okay, okay. You're, you're a writer um in terms of craft and arcs and individuals i mean to me odyssey has always been a very uh this may seem obvious uh, but a very character driven show yeah there's been adventures and exciting things happen but it's mm-hmm. to me it's not it's never been a plot thing um because in story craft if it is about character because if you don't care who the events are happening to, the events themselves do not matter. Um, and right. so they've, they've have, for the most part, when they got going, have done a really good job of painting these characters and detailing these characters to the point where you really do care what's happening to them. And mm-hmm. the individual episodes are great in terms of keeping the narrative going when there isn't something big happening. But the arcs themselves, I think, are what really made me care because it was this not just not just in the practical sense of waiting from week to week to hear it. And it was this long, drawn out sense of tension. But I think I was spending all of that time with those characters in a protracted sense of uh, danger or uh, a threat, uh, frightened, whatever they're going through. I was in it with them through a protracted sense of time, not just 30 minutes on a Saturday morning, and it was done. Mm-hmm. Right. So that in in terms of character creation, the arcs have been essential to me as a listener in identifying with these, with these characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, in the individual episodes, you jump from character to character to character. Uh, and, you know, again, they're right. vignettes of the town. And so it's, it's, it's more difficult to identify with them on a deep level like that. With the ar- when the arcs, you are more likely to have the same cast ongoing, reappearing, mm-hmm. because they're dealing with the same issue from week to week. Uh, yeah, so I think that has been key in terms of that. Now, you can't have an arc all the time. It's sort of like when you're writing a novel, you have the, uh, the ebb and flow of the plot. Uh, to me, the, the, the arc tends to be the up moments, and when they take a break in between episodes, it's like... Oh, Okay, the audience can breathe a little bit. We get back to normality <laughs> and mm-hmm. gather, gather our wits, and then eventually off we go again. Um, so for the most part, I think Odyssey has done a great job of pacing this all out. I mean, they've had some t- challenges uh, beyond their control, like uh, cast members passing away and this sort of thing. That's that's uh, right. you know they they all, they do the great reset every now and then, which I think is necessary for something of this this long running but yeah for the most part i think they've done a great job of the pacing it's like a giant novel in a way yeah it's it's fantastic i'm i'm thinking of also you have plot or you have i guess sagas and you have arcs where sagas i see more as there's an underlying plot here like with blaggard he has a secret to hide at the end of the saga we figure out what that secret is Mm -hmm. and then we have arcs where the characters don't necessarily know where they're going like with eugene and katrina which was a big part surrounding the the blaggard saga Mm -hmm. so even after Blaggard is gone, Eugene is still dealing with the repercussions of that. And we care about Eugene because we saw him in the Blaggard saga. And we've also seen him in many, many individual episodes talking with Connie or just mm-hmm. hanging around Wit's End. So how do those how do those sagas with the, the plots and the arcs with the character moments, how do those interact with each other? How do they compare? Well, this is part of the genius of the Odyssey team. I mean, mm-hmm. if you think about it, you've got something, let's say, 30 years of Odyssey canon. Yeah. And to have it be, I'm not saying there aren't inconsistencies here and there, but if you've got to have it be as solid as it is mm-hmm. and to constantly have been weaving these different threads as deftly as they did is incredible. Uh, I would love to yeah. see the database of the, sp- <laughs> the spreadsheet that they're using for this. <laughs> you know? How they're keeping track of all. It's called the AIO wiki. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Well, even back then, it was it was just the two, mostly the two main writers on the team, Paul, yeah. uh, Paul McCusker and Phil Lawler. And then Marshall Younger was in there doing a couple episodes. But yeah. it was mostly just the two of them grinding this stuff out. Well, then they're smarter than I. I mean, look, if if they're keeping it all in their heads, <laughs> yeah. that's up to them. Because I'm sitting on. If I write a novel, I I get confused 
in a single novel writing by myself. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you've got and, and you know that they're, they they plan ahead um, and, to a certain and, extent, yeah, to a certain yeah. extent, and, and work toward that goal, um, it's it, it's it's uh, it, it's a it's a master class. It, it really is. And again, I'm not saying it's it's perfection itself, but they have done an amazing job, and they have really, I I think cracked the code in not only character creation but bringing those characters to life because again it's not as simple as as you know making up a name and here's a here's a somebody care about her now you have right. to give people a reason why um mm-hmm. and they've done a for the most part again we've done a really great job of that uh with the individual episodes because he in those i Again, to equate those to novel writing, those are kind of like the scenes, the little scenes that don't seem to mean a whole lot until they do. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, yes. you, like you right. look, you look back, like, oh, that was why X, Y, or Z. That makes more sense. But then it's also it sort of sneaks up on you. Like that's why I care so much. You may not be looking at. I mean, well, you may be looking at it this analytically, but I think the <laughs> average listener probably isn't. And so these things that they have put in don't matter until they do. That's the genius yeah. of it. Um, and individual episodes are great at that, whereas sagas, arcs, etc., cetera, um, are more like big picture stuff. Uh, and yeah. both are important. Both are, are vital, uh, and they have to work hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with Down Gilead Lane at all, that audio drama? A little bit. A little bit. I did listen to some right. of it back in the day, yeah. Okay. I'm currently working through it, and one thing I noticed in the first six seasons is that they do have those little episodes, but every single episode has a bit of a saga behind it or has a bit of uh, an ongoing arc. Mm-hmm. where it's progressing the plot and still the characters are off doing something and maybe the B plot, but then the A plot is this other story that's been going on for a couple episodes. Mm-hmm. And in Odyssey, sometimes we sometimes we see that, like with with Novacom, where there are where there are events that are pointing toward the eventual plot that's going to happen or Connie's relationship with Mitch. And then sometimes it's just an early episode with Robin not wanting to do her her chores and or then she ends up hiring other people to mow lawns for her. And stuff like <laughs> right. that. It's not, it doesn't necessarily have to have to fit. Uh, but what you mentioned, like I might be thinking through this analytically. One thing I'm trying to figure out is, am I as an Odyssey reviewer trying to put together pieces like thinking, Oh, this character did this in this episode. And that led to their choice later on in the series. Am I just piecing that together myself to try to make sense of this vast <laughs> Odyssey universe as a reviewer? Or does it actually exist? So like, are there examples through Odyssey where you can say like, yes, that definitely happened, um, right? Or like, no times where they did that. Well, who knows? And that's sort of the fun <laughs> of it, right? I mean, those of us who listen, like, yeah, is that what they meant? Are they pulling a fast one on me? Uh, sometimes <laughs> they are, and sometimes they're not. Like, I, I would yeah, love to be a fly on the wall in some of these writers' meetings. Oh, yeah, um, because you just, are we going to pursue this or are we not? Like, nah, let's just let the listeners stew. <laughs> revelations? <laughs> what revelations? <laughs> <laughs> uh, back to the meme. Yes. No, that's it's a great meme. Um, where was I going to go with this? Uh, you mind if I mind if I pivot a little bit here? No. <laughs> I sometimes forget I'm not interviewing an Odyssey crew member. I'm interviewing a fellow fan. So like, <laughs> you're not in the writers' meetings. That's great. No. <laughs> you mentioned some of the great resets that Odyssey's had, and and one that I think might be in the era where you listened was at the end of album 28, which is where Wit is home. He's come back from the Middle East, and he's made the decision not to go back and let Dan Isidro go instead with the Universal Press Foundation. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with those episodes? Yeah. Then? Mm-hmm. And then the, the next album, uh, so in 28, we have characters like Lucy, Glenn, Charles Edward Thompson, I think is in there too somewhere. Um, <laughs> who, who else? All the other characters who had been kid characters, Sam Johnson. And then in 29, we get characters like Jared, Mandy, uh, Sarah Pratchett, Liz, I think comes in there eventually. Um, so... What was it like with that great reset? If you if you remember how you how you felt about that, or yeah. why do you think Odyssey necessarily needs those resets? Well, and they're they're they change generations of kids uh, first right. of all, um, and there's the the reality that people do grow up. Um, mm-hmm. The per, as far as I know, the person who hasn't aged as much as she Connie. should is Connie, right? <laughs> and and a lot of other, but most other people, they they many of the other characters show the that progression. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's necessary for them to do it. I, but having said that, it was it was a tough one for me. Those are the characters who were kids when I was a kid, kid, you yeah. know. And uh, it it, <laughs> it was tough. I, I it took me a while to warm up to people like Jared. Um, 
mm-hmm. who I grew to really enjoy. But at first, right. it's like, who is this person? This isn't so, and this isn't Sam. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and every time they've they've done that, it's definitely an adjustment. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there was a time I went through a time where I didn't. I probably shouldn't admit this. The time where I didn't listen for a while. <laughs> Not it was it wasn't necessarily because of that reset. Um, yeah. But they went through a time where they were doing these little half C episodes. We don't um, talk about that. <laughs> yeah, we we don't talk about that. But it was it was it was, it was a difficult time. Yeah. yeah. Um. So so you know, some resets have been more difficult than others. But that one in particular, they were changing a whole cast of kids like that. It was it was oh, it was right. rough. <laughs> we'll well, and, and the half episodes, interestingly, inter- like immediately preceded Novacom. Mm. So I think John Fornoff on in one of the writers' meeting or one of the behind the scenes. Uh, specials for Novacom. He said we'd just gone from doing half episodes to a thirty parter, which, <laughs> <Right. laughs> which is really, which is really funny. Uh, but the reason I think this is relevant is because there are a lot of people who I see on the Facebook page that said, "Yeah, I was listening up to album fifty, and then album, after album fifty one, it's just so childish and so different." And I think, well, I mean, I know you like Paul Herlinger and and all the other characters, but I feel like that might be part of the reason why people throw out the new episodes because. Maybe they think they're overproduced or that they just don't sound like the original. I mean, if I were back listening uh, to the original episodes with Blackguard and with Eugene and, and Old Wit and Hal Smith and all that, I would, I don't know, it'd be really jarring for me to come to the new episodes. Mm-hmm. So ha- what do you think? Is there any good way to be able to let go of the past or like move on from nostalgia and experience the new stuff? Or is that just not possible? Well, for me, it did take some time. And I think how I did it was my love for Odyssey uh, turned out to be greater than my love for any certain individual characters. Right. Um, and you have to give it a chance. I mean, for example, every time they change uh, wit, you know, there's there are some difficulties there. People mm-hmm. are not pleased or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But you've got to, to me, it's a bigger picture. To me, the like the town of Odyssey is something that I treasure beyond more than necessarily who is just doing the voice acting or or all of that. And you know, the people like, well, the episodes are more childish. Like, well, you've all you're also older now, and so you may be viewing them exactly. a little differently. <laughs> so we've got to be right. fair. We've got to be fair here with with Odyssey. Um, I, mm-hmm. I do. I do wish like, there there was a certain feel. And again, I'm trying very hard to separate this from a st- from nostalgia, so I can be fair about it. There, 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 there does seem like sometimes there's there is a sense back in the older days um, <laughs> that's a little different, and I don't know what it is exactly. Um, I think I know what it is. Yeah. Well, why don't why don't you you tell me and see if we agree well, on this? Well, yeah. So John Campbell himself has evolved in his music style over the years he's been doing Odyssey. He's the most prolific composer, mm-hmm. and if you compare his score these days with his score from back then, there are extreme differences there. Mm. I think one of the first times, he does musical underscore all the time now, underneath lines of dialogue, instead of just as transition music. Mm-hmm. The first time he did underscore was in album eight for Connie's, uh, the episode Connie had with Jeff Lewis, First Love. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from then on, he started using it more and more. And then he started getting better music equipment and changing the instruments he used. And the music from Novacom and in that era is very iconic. I can tell instantly, yeah, that's John Campbell. Hmm. But these days, have you heard the episode Christmas Bells that Phil Lawler wrote? Hmm. When, when was uh, that? This was recently. This was album 70. Probably uh, retelling. not. Probably okay, not. it's a So John Campbell scored that episode, and it's a, a, a sort of historical episode about the life of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Mm-hmm. And when I was listening to that one, I thought, this is an episode by a veteran writer on the show, Phil, and a score by one of the veteran composers and it feels this sort of feels like a classic episode and the reason for that i think was john campbell's score was very very different for that one Hmm. and also because a lot of the scenes didn't require a lot of sound design they just had a little bit of background noise and then that was it you had characters talking so i think it's as the production style as the production quality has changed even though some of the writers have stayed the same um people can see the differences in the music and think this isn't what i'm used to because audio drama is so immersive if you're in a different kind of world, if the the music of that world is different, I think the audience is going to pick up on that. Rather than in film, you rarely pay attention to the music. You're more paying attention to the visuals. Mm-hmm. But audio drama, you really are. Does that make sense? I th- yeah, I think you you're, you're onto something. I think that's certainly definitely part of it. Um, yeah. When I yeah, because there yeah, I, I'm I'm in here. I'm, I'm playing things in my head. 
real quick because I hadn't I hadn't thought <laughs> I'm about doing this that too. before. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah I, as I'm listening back to older episodes in my head and then fast forwarding in my head live on the air here, air here folks. Um, <laughs> it's there's certainly there's more foley. Um, or there seems to be more foley. Um. And you're right about the music being more present. It's it's almost like a difference between, you know, if I think of a difference between old time radio and then radio theater, for example, um, vast mm-hmm. difference. I think the earlier episodes of Odyssey were patterned after old time. In fact, if I'm thinking of family portraits, I, I feel like there was some sort of discussion about that. Hey, let's do, um, as he was talking to Tom or something like that, but let's, maybe they found the equipment or something that like we could do episodes like <laughs> the Lone Ranger and stuff like that. Like that. Yeah, that, that that's can, in, that's, that's album nine, I think. That's the, the um, yeah. Okay. What was it? Uh, the big broadcast episode where the whole episode is in that sort of grainy old time radio uh, audio quality feel. Yeah. That, it's that, actually that, one of my least favorite episodes yeah. because I'm like, why did you have to do that with the audio quality? <laughs> <laughs> it's really sad because it's a, it's a hilarious show. Yeah. And it's nothing like anything else Odyssey does. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, like especially the, is indicative of it. But I mean, like the principle is very vocal talent yeah. forward. Um, and the th- other things were there to supplement the actors. Mm-hmm. Right. And, right. you know, I don't know how to really dig into this without sounding like I'm criticizing later episodes, because I'm really not. Uh, I'm, I'm really not. It's, it's just a matter of what the, what the difference is. Um, mm-hmm. and it's just, yeah, there's, there's been a different feel. Um, and it's not bad or worse per se. It's just a matter of, I don't, I don't necessarily always get the same feeling when I'm listening to them. And again, that may just be simply on me with, with nostalgia. Um, sure. But yeah. So are there more intense episodes recently that you've heard or that you know of that you've heard? Uh, I think probably the most recent, ep- uh, more intense episodes I'm thinking of are the ones with, wasn't super recent, by the way, but Connie, and, or right. I mean, not Connie, but uh, Eugene in Africa. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The Prisoners of Fear, yep. those episodes? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. So those those still have in my mind a bit more of a uh, an, an older feel. I'm trying to use some word other than nostalgia, but a good example there is I think even uh, comparing that to, for instance, the end of Blackguard and the final conflict with the tunnel blowing up mm-hmm. in Prisoners of Fear, you've got. I th- actually, I think I think those episodes actually do have a similar feel to the old one because those were composed not by John Campbell but by Jared DePasquale, who does a lot of audio drama oh, uh, scoring. Okay. So, so the difference in in the feel in the music, Jared has a more cinematic and pulled in um, feel to his scores, mm-hmm. whereas John Campbell's more over the top. So, if you compare newer intense episodes to the older episodes, like the end of Blackguard, even though you have the en- the same energy, sound design. The music is what's different. I think people can can recognize, even if they don't realize it, they recognize, right. oh, that's John Campbell doing the score, and it brings back those feelings. And mm-hmm. now newer John Campbell is harder to hear. Maybe that's what's That is what's so interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, what I'm going to do av- after we record and over the next week, I think, is just go back and start listening to some of this stuff, <laughs> A and B testing. I really want to find okay, out because I, okay. hadn't, I hadn't thought about that angle before, but it's it's very intriguing, and I think you may you may have hit upon it. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah. well, that sounds fun. I'm glad I give you a, something to do this week. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> not that I'm ever not listening to Odyssey, by the way. <laughs> So kind of wrapping up here, I mentioned Eugene's arc with Katrina a little while ago. Uh, Ryan Matlock, who's my co-host on part of this podcast, uh, he and I have been reviewing or had been reviewing those episodes for a while. Um, And I think those episodes are a good example of how Odyssey can still provide it can provide really deep answers to questions that kids might not even be struggling with, like dating Mm -hmm. or or marriage in that case. So what do you, what do you think about Odyssey's impact as far as that goes? Like, yeah, it's a it's a show for eight to twelve year olds, uh, but still somehow we have this arc where this twenty year old character is working through rivalry with trying to figure out if this if this girl likes him, how he handles conflict in the relationship. How do you fit that into a kids show? I think one thing that Odyssey does really well um, is present the material and then get out of the way and let kids discuss it with their parents Mm -hmm. i think that is a message that they have presented i mean there are plenty of episodes where they say hey kids this episode go get your parents have them listen with you um so they've always included the parents and and i let me bring this in a little bit because you know i have two two children now uh Mm -hmm. and i struggle with the powers that be 
school district, et cetera, all that good stuff, who are trying to cut the parents out of the loop. Like, they don't want me involved. <laughs> they sit mm. down, shut up, we're the experts. For me, as I'm looking back at my upbringing and my childhood, stuff that I've talked with my parents about as, when I was growing up, Odyssey presented all these things, sometimes maybe, so that's not age appropriate, but the way they presented it was... And then after the episode was over, I went and talked to my parents and they put it into context for me. And the thing about Odyssey is that as a listener, you can take from it what you want or need. Maybe some things that you don't even know that you need. And beyond that, there have been times as an adult when I have faced a situation, been in a circumstance, looked back and remembered an Odyssey episode that may not have meant a lot to me at the time. But I look back and like, that's what they were talking about. Um, there is an episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, which, is it um, Donna and is it Jack when the modesty issue? Yep. That one. And Ooh, that one gets a lot of hate these days. It, well, look, it, it meant a lot. When I first heard it, I didn't really like, why is he, why is it too yeah. hot in the room for him? Like, I didn't understand <laughs> why. <laughs> and then as I grew up, I understood it. And now it's, I find it hilarious. Um, right. But it, later it meant something to me. So what Odyssey is doing, I think partly they understand, too, that, first of all, these are characters that are dealing with situations that they have to address. That's just reality. The second thing is they may not be around to address these people when they come of age to address this issue. Like, they don't know if they're, right. they may not be listening to 15, 16, 20, whatever, but they can put that message in the head of the kid. And in, as in my case... It serves them when they need it. It comes back mm-hmm. around. They can access that information and those values that were instilled in them early on. They may not have needed it then, but they can use it later. Right, right. That's going back to what we mentioned at the beginning, that audio drama makes you an active participant in the story. Yes. And if you're invested both in creating the world and in getting involved with the characters, you're going to remember everything that happens and that impacts you, even if you don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's why Odyssey's lasted so long, and that's that's why I think Odyssey does such a great job with these themes and with the storytelling. Absolutely. I mean, if, and one great thing too about Odyssey is, you know, they have tackled uh, real world situations and followed them through to their logical conclusions. So if I right. have, if I can listen to a story about a kid. Let's just an example: a kid who sure. steals something from a store. Well, Odyssey has already tackled that, and they've shown what happens. So if I'm a kid, I'm looking. I really want this item. I have a situation in my life. I was, I grew up uh, in this one neighborhood and I would go down to the corner drugstore with a kid and the kid was kind of a delinquent, to be honest. And he's like, hey, Craig, you, you want one of these little uh, little uh, toy airplanes? So like, I thought he was going to buy it for me. He's like, sure, of course I do. He's like, good, well, we're going to have to steal it. I'm like, I oh. can't do that. And in my head, Odyssey had already said, if I do this, this happens and this happens and it's a domino effect. And I didn't have to live through the following it through to the logical conclusion because I'd already heard about it on Odyssey and knew that it led nowhere good. You know, you know? Right. <laughs> so I mean, that's the, you know, so, and that's just a classic example from my, my own life about how it can affect people. I'd already lived through it through my own mind and imagination. I didn't need to do it in real life. They'd saved me the trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. And I'm, I'm so glad that like the, people over at Focus keep producing this and the Odyssey team loves producing the show because they get so much feedback from listeners that are really impacted by it. Right. Uh, and that's, I'm, I'm guessing that's really, really flattering for them to hear. Absolutely. Well, well, I think we've come to the end of the discussion. Uh, Craig, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was com- really, really random, but I think it's, I think it's been really, really fun. No, I had a great time. I hope you can find at least a minute or two worth of something you can put but- on the podcast. <laughs> he was, he told me before, he told me, he's like, I'm going to have to edit out all the stupid things you say. And so I told him he'd probably end up with five minutes of material and everything that I just, just me said. me talking to myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and everything I just said was a total lie, by the way. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> no. Insert meme of Greta Thunberg. <laughs> so, in all seriousness, though, this was great. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been fantastic. Uh, where can we go to hear the Titanic Wave? Uh, comes out soon? Comes again, out right? on the 27th, and it will be, at least eventually, available pretty much everywhere. Audible, Kobo, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, etc. I don't know if it'll be available on all those places by the 27th, because we had some rush with the retailers. This all happened very quickly. Yeah, right. But uh, mm-hmm. it, it will be available there on the 27th or shortly thereafter, but I will absolutely do my best to let everybody know where they can get their right. hands on it, their ears on awesome. it. Awesome. I'll leave a... 
I'll leave a link up to your website at legacyradiotheater.org. Is that it? Dot com. Dot com. Legacyradiotheater.com. And uh, you can go there to view it or to listen to it once it comes out or to find all these links to purchase it, I'm guessing. Yep, right? absolutely. All right. In the meantime, Craig, take care. This is this has been fantastic. Yep. Seasonal felicitations, everybody. Ah, you're all listening to AIO Audio News. Merry Christmas. Bye. And children only. I, I say women and children only. Lock arms, boys. Nobody gets through unless we say so. Get back. Mr. Lighter. Mr. Hoffman, bring your children. Up here, up here. Give way, you. I've done all that I could. Give us your boys. This is Edmond. Right, on you go, Edmund. Mario. A moment, please. Mr. Hoffman, we must hurry. I must say goodbye to Michelle. Quickly, man, quickly! Michelle. Yes, Papa? I must tell you something. It is very important that you remember. All right. When you see your mother, you must tell her exactly what I'm about to tell you. Yes, Papa. Oh, my child. Mr. Hoffman, we cannot delay. Do you understand, Michelle? Yes, Papa. I understand. Come on, come on. We've got to get him on board now, Mr. Hoffman. Now. Go. Go. And don't forget. Papa, I'll take them. Thank you. I love you, my sons. That's the lot. Lower away. You men, lower away. What now, Mr. Lightola? I suggest you make your peace with God, Sailor. We're very likely to see him soon. Legacy Radio Theater presents The Titanic Waif, written by Darby Kern.